You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, um, I want to welcome you as well. My name is Jordan Elder. I have the privilege of serving as one of our pastors here at Redeemer, and I'm excited that you're here this morning. I'm eager to open God's Word. It's a privilege to get to teach and preach the Word of God, and it is a gift to get to gather with the church week by week. So I'm so glad that you're here, excited for the Word God has for us today. Before we jump into the Proverbs this morning, I do want to take a minute, and I want to remind you, I want to tell you about, I want to inform you of, uh, of an, uh, something that we're super excited about this spring. Uh, for the first time in the 10 years of our church, we are having a marriage retreat. Uh, we really want to invest in the marriages in this church in the next year, in 2023. And so if you are a married person in this church family, just want to encourage you, exhort you, challenge you, uh, whatever it takes um, to get you to sign up and register for our marriage retreat in March. So we're giving you this information way out in advance. Don't worry, we're not like going out to a campground where you're sleeping, sleeping like into twin bunks. Um, we're putting resources into this. We really want to make it an awesome weekend. We'll be staying at the Lone Star Court that's in the domain. So we'll get away, but not be too far away. Um, you'll have a nice room that you'll get to stay in. We're bringing in Bruce and Susan Wesley. Bruce has been a pastor for many, many years. It's a way of saying he's experienced or old. Either way, however you want to go with that. Uh, Bruce and Susan, they want to invest in marriages. And so we're going to talk about how to cultivate intimacy in marriage, how to, uh, how to walk together with Jesus in marriage. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Maybe even for some of you men, this could be a great Christmas present to your wife. Uh, I'm giving you all kind of ideas here. Um, get registered, put it on your calendar. We are super excited about marriage retreat coming up this spring. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, open with me to Proverbs chapter 6. You can open to Proverbs 6 and then just kind of hold your place there. We'll get into it in a minute. Um, this fall, we are looking to the Proverbs to learn wisdom for the most important areas of our lives. If you were here last week, we asked the questions, what is wisdom and where do we get it? What is wisdom and where do we get it? I mean, we live in a world where we have more information than ever, literally at our fingertips, more information than ever. But do we have wisdom? Are we any wiser because of it? What is wisdom? Where do we get it? Pastor Josh took us to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where we saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So in other words, we don't get wisdom by looking in. That's the, the narrative of our culture, is look into yourself and discover who you are and define who you want to be. Listen to your desires. Your desires will tell you who you are and how to find meaning and purpose and happiness and all of those things. That's not where we get wisdom. We don't get wisdom by looking in. We also don't get wisdom by looking out or looking around, looking to the things of the world to tell us where life and meaning and happiness and identity is found. We don't get wisdom by looking in or by looking out. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs 1-7 that we get wisdom by looking up, by looking to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this morning, we are going to look up to God for wisdom for work. Wisdom for work. Work is a massive part of our lives, isn't it? It's a, it's a massive part of our life. I mean, I bet you spend one-third, if not more, of your life working. Eight hours a day working, eight hours a day, if you're lucky, sleeping, 
eight hours of day doing other things that probably re revolve around your work or your responsibilities, maybe parenting or family or friendships, those kinds of things. Work is a massive part of our life. And if you aren't spending a lot of your time working, your lack of work or your unfulfillment in work occupies a lot of your emotional and mental well-being. Um, uh, Harvard sociologist Robert Putnam published some research that states that, he, basically he said there are four things, and one of them is work. He said if, <clears throat> if, if, work, if you do not have meaningful work in your life, that's one of the four things that, that one of the smartest guys in the world did all this research on human beings. If you don't have meaningful work in your life, it's impossible for you to be happy. That's what the smartest sociologist on the planet discovered. And I actually believe this to be true. I actually believe this is true. If you don't have meaningful work in your life, it's impossible to be happy. But, but listen, here's the foolishness of the world. The foolishness of the world will tell you that you have to go on a quest to find the perfect job that gives you meaning. And that's how so many of us kind of end up on this rat race of like kind of always keeping my resume fresh and from one job to the next and the grass is always greener in the next career, the next thing. We're looking to work to give us meaning. But the, the truth and the wisdom of the scriptures tell us that meaning isn't found in a job. Meaning is found in knowing God. And in knowing God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that that can bring meaning to every aspect of our life, even our work, no matter the job. That Jesus Christ brings meaning and significance to our work, no matter the job. Now, this doesn't mean that work isn't hard, okay? This doesn't mean that work isn't hard. In fact, one of the things that we believe as Christians, so this sermon isn't a theology of work, but it is important that we establish a little bit of a theology of work. One of the things that we believe as Christians is that in Genesis chapter one, we meet God and God is doing what? God is working. He's creating. And then we were created in God's image, in the image of a God who works to work. If you read Genesis 1, 28, it says that he, Adam and Eve, that he tells them to be fruitful and multiple, multiply, fill the earth. And then what does he say? Subdue it. He's saying, get to work, cultivate, create, work, work for my glory. Take the raw materials of creation and build cities. And, uh, you know, if you uh, teachers teach and doctors do medicine and all these things, he's saying, get to work, cultivate, create. But we know that when sin entered in the world, and not only damaged our relationship with God, it didn't only damage our relationship with a human to human, but it damaged our relationship with work. That's part of the curse. That they're sent out of the garden and now man will work by the sweat of his brow, right? Uh, one theologian says it this way, on this side of heaven, all work, no matter the job, is full of thistles and thorns. All work is full of thistles and thorns. So if you are in your dream job, guess what? Your dream job will not satisfy you. It's full of thistles and thorns. In fact, I know that you feel this in your work. I, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I wanted just to kind of survey the congregation to get a sense of where people are, how are they relating to their work. Um, and so I sent out a survey to maybe a dozen or so people in the congregation, and the survey had one question. It said, the question was this, using only an emoji, how would you describe your relationship with work right now? Be honest. Using only an emoji, I want to share with you some of them that I got. Um, here's the first one. <laughs> this was mine. That was mine. I filled out my own survey. I love my job. I feel so privileged that this is the work I get to do. 
But in this particular season, I'm feeling kind of tired and weary. Like sometimes the work is hard. It's emotionally exhausting, spiritually tiring. So this was mine. I'll show you the next one. This was my wife. Uh, I won't tell you who all of them were, but she couldn't, she couldn't answer with just one emoji. She basically said, I love my job. There's actually others. There's like a pregnant lady and then a baby. My wife is a labor and delivery nurse. So there was like a bunch of them. And then, and then this one at the end, you know, it's I love my job. Uh, I love what I get to do, but sometimes there can be some drama and it's, and it's, and it's weary. It makes me weary, right? The next one. Yeah, th- this person just like, there's some disappointment and confusion even around my job. Maybe work isn't going the way that you hoped it would go. All those dreams and ambitions that you had for whatever, whatever it is that God called you to do. And maybe this is kind of where you are. Next one. Yeah, and there's some of you here that, that you're content. Your, your job is great. It's a blessing to you. Next one. Yeah, yeah. This resonates with a lot of you, I'm sure, right? Just kind of get up and go to work and maybe it's a bit of a drag, kind of a snooze. This certainly isn't where my passions are, but I got to do the job, right? Next one. Yeah. Maybe there's some tension, some, some, some you know, frustration, some uncertainty with your job. I think that's all of them. Was there any more? Is that the last one? Yeah. And so here's the point. By the way, if you're a guest with us, we don't, I don't always use emojis in a sermon. Uh, <laughs> uh, here's the point. Um, that, that probably, there's, pro- there's a spectrum. There's a complexity when it comes to how we relate to our work. No job is fully satisfying. And we're looking to the Proverbs, and while the Proverbs are not gonna offer us silver bullet solutions to the complexity that comes with working in a fallen world, here's what the wisdom of the Proverbs will offer us. It's gonna point us to a posture. As people, primarily the sermon is primarily for Christians. As, as people who believe that God is our creator, and that Christ Jesus is our redeemer, and that meaning and identity and life and fulfillment is found in Christ. Christ crucified for me, risen for me, coming again for me. He is my source of meaning. It's gonna give us a posture as the people of God, how we ought to work in the world, any job that, that leads to putting God's wisdom on display and that leads to flourishing in our life, that leads to satisfaction in Christ as we work. It's going to tell us a way of working no matter the job that leads to flourishing. And so Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. In Proverbs 6, we get a batch of wise sayings about responsibility and opportunity. And so in verses 1 through 5, we get some wisdom about how not to mismanage money, how to be responsible uh, with money. And then in verses 6 through 11, we get an exhortation toward the way of wisdom in our work, no matter the job. Here's what it says. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I want to start with verse 11 and then kind of work backwards. Verse 11 reminds us that work is a means by which God provides 
And he provides two things through work. God has given us work to do as human beings. We were made in the image of a God who works. God never sleeps nor slumbers. God works. He's working now. He's willing his purposes in the world. The scriptures promise us that God, that Jesus Christ will complete the good work that he started in you. He's at work. He's working in the world. You were created in his image. You were redeemed by his son. He's a God who works. And it reminds us that God provides through work, through the, the, the jobs that we do, two things. One, provision. It's the way that God meets your needs through your work, money and food and other provisions. He provides that for you. He, he, he gives you your daily bread through the work that you do. This is his design. This is his plan. And the second thing that God provides through our jobs is purpose. So provision and purpose. Through our work, God gives opportunities for us to bless other people and to contribute to the flourishing of society. No matter the job, we have the opportunity to bless other people and to contribute. Martin Luther, the, the reformers, they, uh, they, during the Protestant Reformation, they sought to kind of reclaim a theology of work. And Martin Luther was famous for saying, God milks the cows through the milking maids. In other, ways, in other words, he, what his, the milking maid was kind of seen as one of the lowest jobs in society, and he's bringing dignity, God-given dignity to every job. Hey, you drink your milk, God's providing milk for you through them. There's dignity in every job. There's a way to have purpose, opportunity to bless and contribute. This is a Christian theology of work. And so the proverb here is saying to the, that the sluggard, which we'll talk about that in a minute, the sluggard fails to recognize the significance of work. The sluggard is a person who is brought, bought into the lie of the world that says leisure is the meaning of life. Leisure is the meaning of life. Work is a necessity, often an obstacle. Life is really found in weekends and vacations and holidays, and right? Like if, if we could just win the lottery and get rich quick, then we'd really be able to live. That's the lie of the world, that's foolishness. So he's saying, first and foremost, we need to understand that work is a gift. We need to wake up to the opportunity and the gift and the blessing of work, no matter the job. And then he calls us to learn wisdom. He says, learn wisdom before it's too late. Notice he doesn't say, go find a new job that you better enjoy. He says, no, you need to get a new perspective. You need a new posture on your work or you'll become a sluggard. What a word. It's a good word, isn't it? You've become a sluggard. What is a sluggard? What is a sluggard? Um, have you ever gone to the pantry and you've needed the honey bottle because you have a warm biscuit or something like that and you get the honey bottle and there's like this much honey left in the bottle? You've been there? Am I the only one? You're all looking at me like I'm a doofus. Yeah, yes, you've been there. Okay, yeah. And then you, you take the honey bottle and you're like, yes, there's a little bit of honey left. Because honey's one of those things that, you know, you never know. Like, do we have any or are we out? And there's a, you're like, yes, there's a little bit left. And then you, you tip it upside down and you start to squeeze it. And you know how the, the, that little bit of honey that's good, it's useful, it's in there, it's there. And how it just kind of slowly oozes out and you're like squeezing it and squeezing it and squeezing it. And it, you know, here it comes, you know, and it's coming out. And then, you know, that's the sluggard. That's the sluggard. That's the picture that we get in the Bible. Listen to what Ray Ortland says. He's, he's pretty, pretty strong here. He says, the sluggard in the face of responsibility is constantly making the soft choice. There's dishes in the sink, kids that need to be put to bed. The sluggard sits on the couch and pretends like they're doing something on their phone in the face of responsibility. 
Yeah. <laughs> the sluggard in the face of responsibilities, constantly making the self choice, taking the easy way out, making excuses, losing one opportunity after another, day by day, moment by moment, until he lies there in his wasted life. That's the sluggard. The sluggard doesn't see the provision and the purpose and the opportunity that God has hardwired into work. And so the first bit of wisdom for work in the Proverbs is don't be a sluggard. Don't be a sluggard. There's a few other places that Proverbs talk about the sluggard. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16 says, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. In other words, the sluggard lacks courage. The, the courage, is, the slugger, sluggard is always making excuses. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard loves comfort, lacks convention, uh, conviction. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 tells us that the sluggard at the end of the day is just a poor steward of what God has given. Verse, verse 30, Proverbs 24, verse 30, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of man lacking sense, and behold, it was, it, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered, I looked and I received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's the sluggard. And if we're honest, some of us in the room, as we think about our posture and our approach to work, we might be feeling some conviction here, right? We, we live in a culture that idolizes leisure and entertainment, and maybe we've kind of bought into that lie, and, and we've failed to recognize the significance and the purpose and the dignity that God has put in work, the work right in front of us. And so what do we do? Maybe we're realizing that we are more of a sluggard than we thought. The proverb tells us to consider the ant. It says, learn from the ant. That's how we'll learn wisdom for work. Learn from the ant. Go kick an ant bed and take notes. It's basically what he's saying. And there's some sarcasm here that's coming from the wise sage among God's people, particularly to the younger men of Israel. He's saying, go kick an ant bed and learn something or two about God's wisdom for work. This is meant to humble us, right? I mean, ants are the furthest thing from passive, aren't they? We usually, we usually get into ants when we're being passive and we're not paying attention. And next thing we know, there's like 700 of them crawling up our pants. You know, they, they, we, so it says, learn something from the ants about how to work in the wisdom of God. The ants, ants can teach us a thing or two or three about working for the glory of God. Three things that the Proverbs tell us to learn from the ant about how to work in the wisdom of God, how to not be a sluggard. The first is that the ant works with inner motivation. I want you to think for a second about what is your motivation on a Monday morning to go to work? What is your motivation? Maybe your responsibilities are primarily in the home. What's your motivation when you get up in the morning to take care of children or whatever it is that God has put before you. Verse seven tells us that without any chief officer or ruler, the ant works. In other words, the ant doesn't need an ant boss you know, to, get her, to get the ant going. The ant doesn't need a boss. The ant just uh, knows how to work because it was created by God to be an ant. 
um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot has a quote where she talks about working to the glory of God, and she, and she says something similar. She says, a clam could teach us a thing or two about how to work for the glory of God. She says, I bet when a clam clams, it fills the joy of being a clam. And she parallels that to the way that we ought to work. Do we really believe that we are created by a God who works to work? God is providing for us. So we're working with gratitude, thankfulness unto God, this inner motivation, seeing our, our, our day as God is setting opportunities in front of me to love him and to honor him and to work for his glory and to serve other people and to bless people. Do we view our work that way? Do we work with an inner motivation, a gospel motivation? That's what Colossians 3.23 calls us to. Paul says in Colossians 3.23, he says, whatever you do, no matter the job, whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Calls us to work not for the approval of others. That's not why we go to work, so that other people will be proud of us, so that we can kind of show to our boss or whoever it is that might be that we're enough. Not for money, not because we put our hope and our stock and, and you know, getting as many zeros as possible on this end of our bank account. That's not why we work. It's not our motivation for work. It's not, um, it's not so that we can get to the weekend or so that we can have resources for more and more leisure. We work for the glory of God. Gospel motivation. The second thing that the ant can teach us is that the ant works hard. Verse 8. So there's a gospel motivation in our work, and then the ant works hard. She prepares her bread in the summer. Uh, I don't know if ants can sweat, but if ants, somebody should look that up. That'd be interesting. That'd be, if you find, find that, research that, let me know. Uh, I don't know if ants can sweat, but if they do sweat, I promise they don't mind it. They don't mind it. That's the emphasis here. The ant is working in the hottest season and it doesn't care. It's getting its work done. It's working hard. That's the emphasis here from, from this wise old sage. One commentator uh, said this about verse eight. It says, imagine you're on, the fourth, on a 4th of July picnic. You're eating and you're relaxing, but not the ant. The ant is carrying off your sugar one grain at a time. He says, and then it comes back for your Fritos. That's the ant. The ant works hard. That's the exhortation here, is that we ought, to be, we ought to be diligent, working hard. That's the principle. Any work that we do should be done with diligence. The people of Jesus ought not be afraid of hard work. In fact, when we learn how to work with the gospel as our motivation, working unto King Jesus for his glory, seeing our work every day as an opportunity to steward what he's put before us, an opportunity to worship him just as much as we're doing here on a Sunday. Tomorrow you have the opportunity to worship him through your work. When we start to see it that way, an opportunity to bless other people and put his wisdom and glory on display through how we use our hands and our minds and our hearts and our presence. When we start to work with gospel motivation, we find out that we actually have more to give. And we work hard. We work for King Jesus. That's the principle. Verse 8 goes on. She doesn't only, the ant doesn't only work hard in the summer, but it tells us that the ant gathers her food in the harvest. And so the ant works hard today, and the, and the ant makes future preparations for tomorrow. That's the wisdom of God for work. She's working today for tomorrow. She makes preparations for the future. And those with a wise 
work ethic, a work, a work ethic of Christ. Understand that what we do each day affects the next day. Do you realize that? That what we do each day accumulates. It affects the next day. Today affects tomorrow, and this week affects next week, and next week affects next month, and on and on and on. You see, this is something that the sluggard fails to, under, to understand or fails to accept. The sluggard does just enough today to get by and hopes that tomorrow will just work out. That's the sluggard. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Do you see the exhortation here of the, of the wise, uh, godly sage passing on to the other children of God? Learn how to work in the wisdom of God. Embrace a gospel motivation. Work hard each day. Make wise preparations for the future. Don't be a sluggard who's preoccupied, who's really enslaved to comfort and to convenience. The proverb tells us that's the path to ruin and devastation. That is not God's way for us. And I just want to say, I mean, if, if this is the path that you've been on, kind of the path of a sluggard, of being soft in your choices and, and slow toward work and apathetic in your work and maybe cheating the time clock and kind of just kind of doing the minimum. And, and uh, you know, if you just haven't been working for Christ and for his honor and for his glory and for the good of your neighbors, it just, it really simple, I mean, it's a really simple invitation from the Proverbs this morning is turn from that foolish way before it bites you. That's, that's the invitation. The, the, the person of Jesus, look to Jesus, think about Jesus who did not spare his own comfort for you, who very literally poured out everything he had for you. Look to Jesus. He, he gave his whole self to you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be changed, so that you could be redeemed, so that you could flourish in the wisdom of of God in all of your life, including your work. And so the call this morning, if you have maybe realizing, I think I've been a bit of a sluggard. I think, you know, someone's always kind of having to prod me and poke me and kind of get me to work. And, and when, then when I do work, I don't work very wholeheartedly. Like if this has been you, repent. Repentance is not a dirty word. It's such a gracious invitation from a gracious God who says, repent, see Jesus, turn from your sin, learn commit, renew your commitment to work in the pattern of Christ. And so gospel the gospel is our motivation in our work. That's the way of wisdom. We work hard. We work diligently. We work in, in preparation for the future. And then one more thing. One more thing. The ant also works within her limits. All right, this is subtle in the text, but it's there. Um, well, I think there are many who struggle to work to your limits, and the proverb is correcting us here. There are others of you that maybe you've been listening to the sermon. And you're like, yeah, you know, other people need to work like me. <laughs> Your spouse maybe has been kind of talking to you about how they think you might work too much. Been a bit of a workaholic. And you're being like, I'm glad, I hope she's listening. Hope he's listening. I'm not a sluggard. I'm wise. There's actually a bit of a correction here for you. There is some affirmation that says work hard. Make sure, though, that you're working for Jesus and not for yourself. Make sure work hasn't become your king and your God. There's, there's something here. It's, it reminds us that the, the ant, the wisdom here for the workaholic is that the ant works within its allotted seasons. Do you see that? 
It works within its allotted seasons. The, the ant has an understanding and a realization that it is gathering up what God provides. It's not out trying to do for itself what it was not created to do. It's not working beyond its limits, trying to be what it was not ever called to be, what it's not created to be. And so there's an, a warning here and even some wisdom here for the person that, that has kind of made work everything and pushes beyond their limits. See, the person with a wise work ethic works diligently when it's time to work, works hard with their whole heart, works for King Jesus, yet embraces his or her limits. That means that when work for the day is over, work is over. That means that uh, work isn't, doesn't become ultimate and work doesn't dominate everything in my life, my schedule. That means that I know how to honor the Sabbath. God has set aside one day. He says, this is for your flourishing. Now, not to kill. You shouldn't kill people. That would not be for your flourishing or the world's flourishing. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. And then God says, and you shouldn't overwork. You should rest. You should rest. That's for your good and for your flourishing. Setting aside one day to worship and to rest. And so the, the wise person knows how to work to their limits, but not beyond their limits. Gospel-motivated work, working hard, working to and within our limits. This is the way of Christ for our work. It reminds us, the scriptures do, that meaning and fulfillment and identity and happiness cannot be found in a job. These things can only be found in God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings meaning to every part of our life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? There is good news in this for us. And as I close, I just want to remind you of how the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is, this is why we would say, come, come follow Jesus with us. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything about your life. I want you to hear how the good news of Jesus changes your Monday. I want you to hear how the gospel of Christ, as we close, impacts the way that you get out of bed tomorrow. Proverbs is telling us that the wisdom of God the wisdom of God looks down upon you in the person of Jesus Christ and it says to you, you matter to me. You matter to me. You matter to me so much that I've given my life for you and that I've been risen for you and that I'm given, put my spirit within you and that I'm coming again for you. You matter to me. And not only do you matter to me, but all of your life matters to me. Your work matters to me. And because you matter to me and your work matters to me, your work has purpose. No matter the job, whether you're pushing buttons on a cashier or you're running a Fortune 500 company, your work matters to me. That's what God says to you in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? He looks down upon you and he says, because you matter to me, your whole life matters to me, you are my beloved. Your work doesn't define you. It matters to me, but it doesn't define you. Your successes and your failures in your work, they don't define you. My cross and my resurrection define you. Define you. Proverbs 6 is teaching us because of the gospel, because of Jesus, that th there's opportunity that he set before us to bring honor and glory to his name tomorrow when we get out of bed and when we go to work. I want you to think about this room for a minute. We're all gathered here today and we're worshiping Jesus because he's valuable to us, because we've seen his beauty. We love him. We've seen, we, we're testifying to what he's done in our life. And tomorrow, 
we have the opportunity to all be scattered to different jobs and different vocations and different responsibilities. And guess what we get to do? We get to worship Jesus. We get to honor him because he's beautiful and because he matters to us. That's the picture. That's the opportunity. We get to put his wisdom on display for others to see through how we work. Church family, I want to just exhort us with the wise sage in Proverbs chapter six. Let's steward what God has given us. Let's work hard for his glory because Jesus is our meaning. He is our joy. He is our wisdom. He is our motivation. He is our power. And when we get tired and we get weary, he is our rest. What a savior we have in Jesus. What a savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages us, how it teaches us, how it gives us hope, and how it corrects us. And so I pray that as we sit with the wisdom of Proverbs 6 for our work, that you would continue to teach us, Lord. Help us to see the beauty and the gift that you've given us, the opportunities that you've given us in work. Help us to work hard for your glory. Those in the room who are really struggling with work and work brings a lot of pain into their minds, into their hearts, I pray, God, that you would comfort them this morning. Help them to trust you more deeply as we even go to the table and we take the bread and the juice and we be reminded of how you meet our every need. Lord, as we enter into this time of response, we pray that you would be worshiped, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.